0: DemandBase is transforming the way B2B companies go to market by enabling customers to embrace modern digital sales and marketing with a complete end-to-end
1: suite of products. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Sunny Side Up. I'm your host, Shubhant, and today I have Corey klein with me to talk about the future of sales. Corey, welcome to the show, and it's great to have you over here. Thank
0: you, Shubhant. It's nice to be here.
1: That's awesome, Corey. So before we get on to the whole topic, I'd like to introduce Corey to you all. Corey is a Boston-based technology sales executive, and he currently oversees the US SMB and mid-market business units for SaaS Institute. Since its founding in 2015, the SMB and mid-market remains to be a high-growth market for SaaS, and Corey has over 20-plus years of experience in building the high-performance technical sales and support teams. He holds a Bachelor of Arts from Assumption University and is active in the engineering investment community in the Boston area. Corey, once again, I'm super excited to talk to you. Welcome to the show.
0: I am happy to be here, my friend. I'm excited for a great conversation.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I've been like in touch with you for the last couple of days, and I mean, it's quite interesting to know that you've had an experience of almost two to three decades in this industry. And I mean, there's there's quite a lot to learn from you. And based on the discussions I've had earlier. So before we jump onto the whole topic, Corey, would you like to give us a quick introduction to your journey of the whole career?
0: Absolutely. I'd be happy to, Shubank. So I graduated many, many years ago from Assumption University, as you said in your intro, and the economy that I was launched into was a little bit soft at the time, but my degree was in behavioral psychology, and my intention throughout my four years at, at Assumption was to pursue that as a career. Which meant more graduate work and 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 but also trying to gain some clinical experience. I started off into the clinical environments. wasn't licensed to do much other than just observe and assist in clinical applications of uh, mental health. So I, I discovered pretty quickly in that industry that that maybe my naivete around how people can be helped with their mental illness and, and issues really came to the forefront when I started realizing that, you know, my ideas of talk therapy and interaction were being largely subverted by the application of medicines and pharmaceuticals, which is a very key, important thing. But to my young 23-year-old mind, I thought to myself, well, I I don't know if this environment is for me. And after spending four years earning a degree, having a very preset idea as to what I wanted to do, after some clinical experience after graduation, I decided to change topics and change careers. And that meant really taking my time and trying to find out what it is that I wanted to do. But I had bills. I had insurance to pay for. I had things to do. And so I needed jobs. So I worked all kinds of jobs just to keep myself going until I could figure out what was my direction. Many of my friends were joining banks and having jobs like that. And I just couldn't do that. It just didn't appeal to me. So eventually what came around was sales opportunities. I think that's a very common kind of process for a lot of young professionals. I I think they, they graduate with whatever degree, they don't decide to go into their chosen field of study, and they start, quote, selling things. I was very fortunate to be able to convince a local manufacturer here in the Massachusetts, New England area who sold to manufacturers to bring me on as a sales engineer. And without an engineering background and without the kind of qualifications necessary, I was able to persuade the folks in the interview process to take a chance on me. And there I began, you know, months after, you know, thinking I was going to be in clinical behavioral psychology. I'm driving around New England in my Ford Taurus with my sample case and my directory of manufacturers in my in my passenger seat. I realized that there are a lot of skill sets that transferred over into the world of sales, skill sets that I had and been honing for a career in the mental health industry. And I was successful. And I found that, you know, that that if you apply the same kind of curiosity that you would when you're speaking to someone under your care in a clinical environment, you find that the, the process and the outcomes are very similar. So I became very successful at this job and I was rookie of the year and, you know, invited to club trips. And, but the key turning point was after a couple of years, I, I found myself, my wife and I were newly married and we had a child coming. My wife at the time was making lots of money in the healthcare industry, but we wanted her to try to be a full-time mom, which is a you know very courageous decision, but also a very perilous one from a financial standpoint in the Boston area, both coming from humble origins. And I really had to figure out where I could make more money. And that led me to a small startup in the uh, north of Boston. It was a dot-com startup that was using the internet. This is back in, in the uh, just before the turn of the millennial, to use the internet to help buyers of manufactured products find manufacturers, post their requirements on the, using the internet and using online reverse auction technology to drive down costs. This was a software solution enabled by the web, which was still coming to the fore in terms of being a business infrastructure play. And we were really successful. I was early on in that in that company. It, was, it had grown. We were preparing for an IPO. The stock market, the NASDAQ, did implode, and we went to acquisition. However, now I'm in the software game. I was working for a company called Ariba, which was a high-flying software company at the time, now part of SAP. And that launched me and that legitimized my career. Now I'm a legitimate software salesperson. Worked for a couple of companies in the Palo Alto Mountain View area, met a ton of people, had a lot of experiences, traveled all over, bringing a, a, a honing my sales craft. About 18 years ago, I was always close to the investment in angel community in the Boston area, and I had heard about an acquisition that this company, SAS, was making, the Boston-based retail software solution. And I thought, my goodness, SAS, a leader in analytics getting into the retail space, Having had extensive retail experience, having worked with a lot of retailers, I pursued SaaS, and that was 18 years ago, actually. And now, you know, we, it brings us to where we are today.
1: That's quite interesting. <laughs> you've you've had a great experience in, in different industries, as in not industries, but I'd say different companies. And the path you've had, kind of, that has landed you in the sales is quite interesting, as you mentioned. Cody, I was actually looking into your LinkedIn profile the the previous day, and I was actually quite intrigued to figure out that okay in the last 20 years you've been with saas all throughout and you have had a wonderful say, growth within the organization i think probably starting from the, the lower end of it and to the towards the lead being a leader of the sales and handling great i mean multi geographical teams or multi demographic teams so the next question is all about like how you have evolved and along with you the sales has evolved in the last two decades Cody. because probably like This is the right time that everybody figures out that, okay, there's a lot of change that is happening in in the surrounding on a very daily basis. And you being in this industry for the last two decades, how have you seen the sales evolve along with you, probably?
0: Absolutely. I think that that there's two ways to look at this. When I started at SaaS 18 years ago, I was one of the first account executives in the New England area. So I started off, obviously, as an AE, like a lot of people do and obviously now I lead a business unit so it's been quite a process but back then when I began my career here and I think about what's changed I must also think about what hasn't changed and I think getting to those outcomes has changed so what I mean by that is that obviously the, the things that we we know to be foundationally true that you must be useful to your customer that is probably the most the biggest cornerstone that a lot of people I think that kind of miss even if they Especially if if we start focusing on feature function of our offering, whatever it is, medical device or a piece of software, feature functions are very important and have their place. But the the most profound and lasting customer relationships I've ever had, where you know we've signed deals and helped each other and grown our company and the client's company have been when I've been able to establish a relationship. So relationships are important, but what is underneath that? And that is being, I think, to quote Peter Drucker, to be useful. Mm-hmm. And I think actually, if we look at any relationship in our lives, it hinges on being useful to your friends, to your spouse, to your partner, to your employer. You must be useful. So I think that hasn't changed and we must be relevant. But it gets kind of lost in all the all the very, you know, the technical speak, which is critical but has its place but so that hasn't changed. But how we get there has certainly changed. So I know people will tell you that the cold call is dead. I don't believe it is. I, I don't believe that. I believe if you have a useful honed message and you called an executive, I would do all my cold calling on Fridays at four o'clock when I was an executive. I because I, I know for me now in the position I'm in, that's the most useful time of the week because it's quiet. I'm at my desk. I'm working carefully and quietly and catching up on everything that I hadn't got done that week. And my mind is open. My calendar is clear. The noise is lowered. And the times when a salesperson has caught me, so to speak, or or when I was an account executive, caught my prospect, is during those moments of quiet work and reflection. But oftentimes, I will sometimes pick up a phone and it will be, A number I think I recognize, or something. And I think if you have children, you always think, I should answer this call because it looks like a local call. And so you end up talking to a salesperson. (laughs) And the first feeling you usually get is dread like, oh, I wish I didn't pick this up. But I remember one individual in particular called me and said, I'm calling from such and such company where we provide this software to technology companies. And And I was getting ready to say it, not a good time. And he said, I know you're in the SMB. I know your customers are not publicly traded. Mm-hmm. I know it's hard to get information on executives at those organizations. And within 20 seconds, he had me. He was useful because he was correct. Trying, asking my SDRs and my sales team to find people and contact executives is hard because we're not selling to Bank of America and the SMB in the mid-market or Wells Fargo or Pfizer. So I think that the relevancy is really, really important. I think another thing that has changed indefinitely as a result of the pandemic, which, of course, everyone talks about, is the the, awareness of the amazing amount of time we spent not selling. Mm -hmm. So going to the airport, you know, parking at the airport, going through security, getting on planes, landing, finding a place to eat, waking up the next morning, hour and a half visit with a client, maybe a lunch afterwards, and then the same trip back. Face to face. Magical. But if you're going to be face-to-face, and undoubtedly, everyone listening to this podcast is doing less face-to-face meetings, our clients are too. And I think it's extremely critical that if you're going to enter into the workplace of your customer, that you're respectful for their rules, but also respectful of their time. Mm-hmm. It's remarkable to me how we're able to create relationships in a digital fashion now, and I think that's wonderful, but the face-to-face the visits and the, and the customer meetings really did suck up a lot of time and not only that but also training internal training and internal enablement sessions we would always get together in some city and spend days together and we've moved all that online and i think that that you know knowing that if you're going to get in a plane you're going to travel you're going to do that you're going to make it more meaningful because you probably haven't been doing a lot of it but i think that the i'll take a bet here in november of 2021 that the amount of travel the average salesperson's is doing has been reduced and will be reduced for a very long time. So that has changed as well. I think all of us have learned how to be more persuasive on video. I think we've learned the art of looking directly at the camera, at, at trying to be more provocative mm-hmm. with our commentary in order to maintain focus and interest in what we're saying, because we don't have the benefit of Dancing around the room and shaking hands and bringing coffee and food into a room. So we've a lot of the people who have thrived at this point, at this during during this time, have really mastered the art of lessening the separation, even though they're in a digital forum. And I think that's paid dividends for everyone. Everyone is now better at these kind of interactions. Lastly, I'll say is that because we we have a little more time in our days, we're not commuting as much, mm-hmm. we're not going on planes. A lot of people are listening to podcasts, maybe like this one. They're enriching their knowledge a bit more because they have a bit more time. Perhaps the lack of going to an office for a lot of people has robbed them of their their own time, their quiet time. And I think a lot of people have become more introspective. They're reading more. They're consuming more information. They're more Mm well-informed because we have a little less noise in our lives. So these are some of the things that I see as being rather positive and lasting changes.
1: Yeah, I totally agree to everything that you actually mentioned, because I'm a sales guy and I can totally relate to the kind of time that we are saving in our day to kind of make sure that, okay, the same th- sort of the returns are in terms of the closures that we used to get earlier. Probably, I think it's it's probably doubled right now than what we were actually kind of achieving in the previous years. And probably, yeah, what he said is right in terms of the transition and the, the latest thing latest developments that is happening around sales. I think this is the best part that I mean that you mentioned is that people have realized how they can actually manage the time to make sure that they get the best out of it. Instead of spending a lot of time on traveling and all the other factors to make sure that if you meet a person for an hour, but you'd have already spent around uh, 12 to 15 hours in the background to make sure that, that happens. So I think that is one thing which, is, which we, are, we are not doing it right now. And as you mentioned, it could actually be reduced to a great extent in the future as well. And that, that's totally great to hear from you about that, Corey. And going to the next question. So, what traits should a salesperson have, and what does it make a difference? Because you are a sales leader, so you've been a sales executive as well as a leader right now. So, what sort of a traits should a salesperson have? I I will tell you my
0: experience. From my experience only, I worked for a very well established analytics company. Really, the first the first company to come out with AI before it was called AI or machine learning, and At SaaS, we're an R&D-driven company. Mm -hmm. Okay, We are R&D-focused. We always have been. We always will be, which is a little different than companies who are very marketing-focused or splashy or have cute names for their products and spend billions of dollars on advertising. We're a curious company, and I'm not trying to make an advertisement for SaaS, but we're privately held. We are R&D-focused. And we have a lot of folks that have been here for quite some time because they like being here and they do meaningful, challenging work. I think that leads to a persona that I think this working at SaaS, for example, is attractive to a lot of people because we're innately curious. And I know that that's probably an overused phrase, but your curiosity for your customer and what they are facing as people, as individuals, and also in their market and a displayed curiosity, I think I'll add a word to that, is a displayed curiosity is extremely important. So, yes, we must do our homework. We must know what their top three competitors are doing. We must know. We must pour over anything they've published, their LinkedIn posts. How are they aligned? What is their sustainability strategy? What is their acquisition strategy? If you can have the benefit of seeing a publicly traded company in motion, you can learn all kinds of things about how the CEO and the executive team is moving the company into the next phase of growth, you have to align with that. If you come in and you are saying the example of SaaS, for example, words like advanced and predictive, you're starting to just put yourself on a pedestal and you're becoming almost unrelatable. You might still have a great meeting because everyone will be very impressed with everything you have to say. But if you don't lead them to an outcome and make that outcome accessible to them, given their needs and their capabilities and understand those two things, then you've just had a really great meeting with no next step next step. So I think curiosity, relentless, informed, displayed curiosity is the key thing. The last thing I'll say is hustle. Hustle it doesn't matter how great your mouse trap is, it doesn't matter what how many LinkedIn connections you have, you must hustle. And the people who put in the legwork, the people who put in the hustle, the people who put in the little extra, People in your life that give you extra, you know who they are. As a leader of a business here at SAS, I have vendors, and I know the vendors that put in a little extra. And they become confidants. They become trusted advisors. So I think that the path to being that trusted advisor, which everybody always likes to say, and I just said it as well, only is is earned. It's earned through curiosity. It's earned through hustle. It's earned by someone you know it when the customer finally comes to you and says, I don't know how to get this done. I'd like this to make this purchase. I don't know how to get it done and have a, or conversely, if a customer says, I need two weeks to talk to my team, give them two weeks, treat them with respect and and, and realize that they're going through, they have a life outside of work as well. And they're going through a lot of hoops to advocate for your product or your offering. So empathy, I guess I'll add one last one on there. Be empathetic. But last thing is, I'll say this be careful who you spend time with. Make sure that you're not asking someone who's tactical to do strategic work mm-hmm. because that's going to disappoint them and it's going to disappoint you. So, if you need something, if you need a strategic conversation, have it with people who make strategic decisions. So, these are some qualities, but they're more practices. I think salespeople have to have a high emotional quotient. You know, I speak a lot to founders and I hear them pitch on, on, investment meetings. And some of these folks are brilliant. They're just so brilliant. And they probably never had to sell. I'm not trying to be funny there. They probably remember I talked about how I left a clinical environment, went to sales because I didn't know what else to do. Well, I had to sell. So I had to learn these skill sets. I think sometimes folks who are very technical and very, very learned in advanced degrees, sometimes haven't had to do the persuasive hustle work. Yeah, they've worked hard, but they haven't had to transfer enthusiasm. And that is a that is a key to know what your skill set is and what it's not is really important. So I guess it starts with self awareness.
1: This is brilliant. <laughs> I'm really like astonished to kind of figure out okay these these are the traits that actually needs to have because though there are I mean most of the skills people would actually have few of those traits. But yeah, what what you mentioned is absolutely true, right. I think this helps a lot for any sales or I'd say even the marketing person to kind of have a quick understanding about okay, what are the kind of skills or the things that they need to do to make sure that they come out more successful in their career. Moving on to the next question, Corey. So the recent days have been all about the, the data, or the, I'd say the big data. There's all, all about uh, AI, ML, and all these other factors that are coming to picture probably in the last five, uh, five to eight years. I want to understand how has artificial intelligence and machine learning helped sales in the current days, and also how has data changed the whole game of, I'd say, playing, say, I mean, selling experience.
0: As an AI company, Mm -hmm. we certainly use our own products to help improve our customer experience. I think for this two answers. Number one, I think organizations that have a broad product portfolio can deploy very simple, straightforward analytics or even rules-based analysis on their existing customer base to understand what products would be best for that customer to migrate to or add. Mm -hmm. That is something that should be you know, look, if you have a lot of customers, if you're listening to this conversation here and you have several hundred customers that you manage as a, as a salesperson, you, you're not going to have active dialogues with all of them. Right. So you, you do need to rely on some sort of recommendation engine. Even if it's a simple, like I said, rules based thing you can build in Excel, you don't need to necessarily go buy some products that my company makes and sells. Mm-hmm. But just have the awareness that if customers that usually do this benefit from this, or companies that that make an investment in this product usually means this is what's next. Having a working knowledge of just the market and how customers move through an analytical life cycle or whatever life cycle it is that you're bringing to them by way of your product or service is important. I think it is extremely easy as well for a lot of companies that aren't even AI vendors to buy some very great dashboarding technologies really cheaply and start to put key metrics up for their business. Mm -hmm. What is the average deal size? The time to close? What are we losing deals in? I mean, I know know all this information because we built our own dashboard. I know what industries we receive the most leads in, what industries we have the most losses in, Mm -hmm. how long it's taking us to close a deal, average deal size. The average customer, we were blown away when we found out the average revenue for a SaaS customer in our business, the average company revenue is 50 million or below. That really surprised us, and it surprised us because we do so many transactions, but that went against the idea that only multibillion-dollar companies can embrace analytics. But I think knowing your own business as a salesperson, if your company has given you access to BI tools or some sort of reporting, embrace it. If someone at your company is in charge of your experience with this product, find out who they are, get your own dashboard. Know key metrics of the business you manage as a leader or individual contributor. Your pipeline, you must come in every day and check not only your percentage to quota, but know your key metrics of your group or your individual region that you manage. It's all there for you. And that's very important. The last thing I'll say here is in a more broad perspective, everyone's talking about AI. Mm -hmm. Everyone, I literally got a phone call from a salesperson the other day that accidentally picked up. They says, we're an AI company that helps. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I said, can I stop you? We're an AI company too. And it would be the end of my career if I brought forward a purchase from a vendor that does AI when that's what we do, right? So everyone's saying AI. So it has changed everything. It's analytics, and it means different things to different people. So don't come in with your own idea of what AI is, because for a lot of people, who can't afford or can't go out and find data scientists or have a team of them, or even one, you must meet them where they're at. And I think that that's a very critical thing. So AI has changed things because everyone wants wants it and everyone wants to talk about it. And that's a great opener, but now you're one of thousands who are saying we have AI embedded. And I would really resist using words like that when you open up your conversation with anyone really. But, you know, we can go on for this for a while, but I think that that it's a wonderful time in business for for the embracing of data, and the opportunities are massive. So as a salesperson, as a sales leader, I depend greatly on, you know, the products that we actually bring to market here.
1: This is great. I think there's been a lot lot of insights that you actually provided about sales and um, the selling techniques and what are the kind of traits that a salesperson need to possess to kind of be successful in his career. Coming towards the end of the show, Corey, so we normally ask a couple of questions that are common to all the guests that will come on the show. The first thing is that, is there a book, blog, or a newsletter or a website that you actually recommend our listeners to kind of refer to?
0: Yes, of course. I have a very strong passion for the free enterprise system and for the, the angel and venture community. I participate in the local angel community in the Boston area. I've assisted and advised several companies. It's what I do. It's my passion. And it, it meshes directly with my daily work at SaaS because we either we're helping small businesses become better or in, in the case of my day-to-day, I'm, we're building a business here within a, within a large established company. So I, like, I tend to drift towards anything that has to do with new ideas and changing technologies. Mm-hmm. I listen to the all in podcast every week. It comes out on Thursday Fridays, with Jason Calacanis and some brilliant guests. The funny thing is, is what podcasts is that they come and go. They come and go in and out of my life, but you know, make it happen Mondays, which is a sales oriented podcast and be very good at times. But I also make sure that every single day I, I read page one of The Wall Street Journal. I don't consume news. I disabled my pop-ups and all my news feeds a long time ago. I'm a happier person that way. But I do stay informed by reading the journal every morning Mm -hmm. and stay away from opinion pieces. Stay away from opinion pieces at work, too, but certainly in what you consume. Just be careful not to consume too much because they're all, of course, selling something. But, you know, be a market observer. Mm -hmm. You know, many years ago, I remember being in Germany and it was many years ago when when the major automakers in the U.S. were asking the government for money if they weren't going to make it. And I was zipping around Germany, major cities, and I noticed that the Germans, who love their cars, were driving Audis, Benz, Porsches, and Fords. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I thought, my goodness, that's funny. The Germans love Fords. And then you look at what was going on in Washington at the time, and Ford was the only one who wasn't asking for any money. And I thought, my goodness, what an interesting... Interesting situation over there. So not only for us, because I was in, I was in the retail manufacturing sector at SAS at that point, to approach Ford and see what they're doing, but also as a consumer investor. Yeah. It's like, wow, this is really interesting. They obviously have a great product, and people overseas really like it, especially in a car-crazy country like Germany. So I, my point to all that is is that make observations. Be a student of the world around you. See where trends are going. And and try to you know, executives that you talk to do these same things. They do listen to podcasts, they do read the first page of the journal, they do work more world they think in a worldly way. So you must and find a way, get a copy of Fortune delivered every month. I mean, read it cover to cover. You will pick up something that will make you more relevant in your conversations. Because not every conversation you're gonna have with a customer is gonna be about your product. So I, I think and then and lastly I'll say this find the people in your company or your circle who are always moving forward. Avoid negativity, but people who are positive, people who embrace change, the change agents and you can find these folks and they're in your community. They are sometimes artists, sometimes technologists, sometimes they're they're at home with five kids, you know, but you need to find these people who are a positive force and surround yourself with them and call on them to help them lift you up and you lift them up. I think that all these vehicles of podcasts and, and news outlets are meant to serve a purpose. And that only purpose should be to greater inform you and keep you plugged into humanity to keep you more interested and more effective and more useful in your position as a founder, as an entrepreneur or as a executive or a frontline salesperson. Mm-hmm. So that's a very large answer to your question, but
1: that's just my perspective. Can't, can't agree more about this, story. I think this is brilliant. I was, really impressed by the kind of I'd say insights or I could say I could say about the kind of guidance you actually gave to me as well as the audience. And this is this is actually impressive because the things that you mentioned right now, this totally helps towards the growth in any career aspect that we talk about. Not just the sales but anybody in, in this life or today's world is kind of probably disturbed with a lot of lot of attain, a lot of unwanted information that is flowing into different mediums or different different channels. I think this is totally right what you mentioned is like you got to focus on what takes you forward in your life probably not just the I mean personal but also professional way because that is the most important element that is going to be a part of your life for the next probably four three to four decades going forward so that is great but I'm pretty sure that the team that works with you is having a great time learning all the stuff from you and one more thing before we come towards the end just like me I mean I've got a lot of Concerns. I'd say questions that i like to kind of throw to you personally on, on, on LinkedIn, but on the same page, even our audience is allowed to kind of connect with the guests that have been on the show. So, how do you suggest that they could actually get in touch with you?
0: Sure. I'm an open book. So, you can find me on LinkedIn, of course. It's Corey, C O R E Y, and last name is Klein Bauer. Just break it up into two. It's easier K L E I N, and then B is in Boston, A U E R. Find me on LinkedIn. Shubank, I'm actually working and I in no way of stumping for this, but I'm, I've created a site. I've listened to so many founders and technical experts. I'm creating a website right now with some recordings and some resources to help advise people who are new to selling, but have to sell mm-hmm. in terms of how they should move forward. I've been compiling, you know, stories and ideas and approaches, very simple, tactical, straightforward things to people who've never had to sell I'll be making that. I'll put that up there on LinkedIn at some point. So if you want to follow me and you find any of what I said useful, we're all here to help each other. And I just like to put out content and and try to try to assist the, the entrepreneur, the founder, the technical expert who needs to inform and persuade a group of customers or investors. And because that is what I think one of the greatest sources of social equality an opportunity in the world is through the the person who who begins and takes an idea and turns into a company. So, I'm open to all these kinds of things. I have a passion for them, and as I said, I'm going to try to give something back through my site or through, you know, whatever medium I end up using mostly to assist those people out
1: there who might need a little guidance. Awesome, awesome, Corey. I think it's been it's been totally amazing to have this conversation with you, Corey, today. And any quick thoughts before we end this whole episode?
0: i really enjoyed this. I'm so impressed with this whole experience. I'll just tell you, for anyone that's out there and listening to this podcast, this is a genuine experience. This is a informed experience for the person that's talking. I'm sure the content that you, as a regular listener, are listening to here is wonderful. This is a great time of introspection for all of us, and we've all, you know, have been through something here, and it's important to remember we've all been through something, and we remain to be going through something as a, as a, it's a very personal thing, but it's a very public thing as well. To our earlier comments a moment ago about staying positive, I mean, there's a difference between just spending your days grinning and, and staying positive and productive. It is a very important thing. And if you end the day feeling that you haven't got there, you haven't, you haven't arrived at a, at a point where you shut down the laptop and you feel good, do one thing that you know has an outcome. Even if you go rake the leaves in your front yard, it has, an, it has a beginning and an end. And I think for a lot of people who are in sales or technology or founders or people like that, they, they're not too sure they ever have an end to their efforts. So realize that a lot of good things do take time. Stay positive. Treat yourself well. Take care of yourself. And you know, continue to pursue your dreams. And as long as I've been doing this at SAS 18 years, I still wake up every day and run to work. But yeah, I guess I hope that helps. That's
1: the last thought I had. Thank you. Thank you so much for all the, all the compliments, Corey. And it's a pleasure to have you on the show. It's, it's a pleasure for all of us to kind of have you kind of listen listen to all your insights. And have a great day, Corey. We look forward to connecting with you again in the coming quarters. And I'd like to thank all the audience who have also signed up on the show, too.
0: I appreciate it. Thank you.
1: Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunnyside Side Up.
0: If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demandbase TV.